Goodbye diets and hello sustainable health. I'm Elise, dietitian and nutritionist based in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we all deserve an effortless relationship with food without obsession. I know you two are both in the area in Silicon Valley. So how did you guys meet and where are you guys these days? We met during our internships when we were baby therapists, learning the ways of the world. When we first met, we did not like each other or I didn't like her. She didn't care. (laughs) I was about to go on maternity leave. She reached out to me before I came back to finish my hours saying like, Hey, I'm wanting to do a workshop about couples. I was um, really into relationship therapy at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so she wanted me to help her out with that. And that's ultimately how we met and continued. Like we hit it off from there. Mm -hmm. During our first workshop, we found out that we worked really well together, but then she also pissed me off. (laughs) So she changed my slides two hours before our workshop. It's like, what can I cuss on this podcast? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> Great. I was like, what the fuck, Joanne? I'm a people pleaser. So I don't tend, I was like trying to be very direct without uh, being too mean. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, we found out uh, that we worked really well together, but then I don't know, there's like an alchemy We're mm-hmm. we're big on alchemy. Um, and so we kind of just discovered that us working together is uh, much, much more than just the sum of our respective selves. So yeah. Speaking of that alchemy, I remember when I was online, you know, Joanne's website, all of me popped up first. And I was like, oh, I love that she's doing self-esteem work and she's touching on brain spotting and Enneagrams and EMDR. And then the the thing that popped up next was your website, Melinda. And I was like, oh, this is also such a lovely framework. Like you also focus on more EMDR and self-esteem. So I could even been sense the alchemy just from like a third person perusing the websites. So <laughs> I'm so curious, how did you two kind of stumble into the world of therapy and decide to do this and make this kind of your, your world? Speaking about myself, like I am an Enneagram too. I've used the Enneagram to grow a lot. And what that just means is that I'm a, a helper. I'm a helper personality. Um, it's not altruistic, right? Um, it's because, you know, I find um, <laughs> worth and value. And like, you know, I convince myself I'm lovable by going outside of myself and being helpful to others. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the coping autopilot. So it makes a lot of sense that I would go into therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I was the advice giver in college. I mean, probably the annoying advice. I, I always think I know better, right? Like there's a lot of things that kind of went into my choosing this particular profession. However, Um, as I've done a lot of growth work, I think the thing that makes me really excited about therapy and, uh, like why I've continued on in the field is more because something that my personality type doesn't do is kind of learn to understand like who we are inside and our values inside Mm -hmm. and like kind of the architecture of our internals, what our needs are and like who we are, if nobody's watching. Mm. And um, I think that in doing that work, I'm so, so, so loving doing that work with others and like watching them fall in love with themselves. And so that's what keeps me here. 
mm-hmm. uh, in this work. But I mean, I'm not going to lie and say like, oh, I was so great when I first started in therapy. <laughs> I was so healed. I'm like, mm. I think a lot of us join this field, especially when we're younger mm-hmm. because of our respective autopilots. And as we hopefully do our own internal work, then, you know, come to uh, more awareness of why we started in the first place and kind of find a path that's healthier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But um, I also just, I'm a people person. I love, like, I'm, I tell my clients I'm nosy as fuck. <laughs> I'll be all the tea. I want to know everything about your life. Um, yeah. So that also lends to a really fun. This is a really great job for that. Mm. You know, it's wild. So I've taken the Enneagram before and my boyfriend, my partner is an Enneagram too. Literally last night I was cooking um, dinner and when I'm in the kitchen, I'm like a whirlwind and like, I'm like, babe, I don't need you right now. I just need you to do other things. (laughs) He paused in his steps and he literally his heart dropped. He's like, babe, that was so sad for me. Why did you say it like that? Was so me. I can literally feel my heart. Like, oh, that poor guy. Like, what? oh my god. I know his puppy eyes come out, came oh out, and god. I was like, wow, I've just cut him down so deep on a level I didn't even realize. <laughs> now you know but, why I probably went into the therapeutic field. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think it's great that you mentioned that because sometimes I think about my own patients and with food and everyone, I think sometimes we eat to run away from either oh, feelings yes. or ourselves. I think there's an element of if you don't like yourself enough or if you haven't you know, um, honored the promises you wanted to do for yourself, you just at the end of the night, you're just trying to run away from yourself. Um, who are the patients that come to see you guys? What is the thing that they always say first session? They're like, I'm here for this. (laughs) I think it's different for both of us, right? Um, Because we show up so differently Mm -hmm. um, and actually how we work, though we do similar things, they're so different. So I don't know what you would say. I mean, she always has kind of, she's kind of an ideas distiller and I'm like the heart. I mean, the heart of the, the operation. So I don't know, you distill the idea of the person that comes to you. It depends on my mood. <laughs> She's a four. Um, Lots of you, You're a four, Joanne? <laughs> okay. When I took it years ago, I was a four, but oh. these these days I'm a five. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So um, mm-hmm. uh, this is like one specific thing about the Enneagram that isn't as widely known and it's about subtypes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Basically, there are nine types, but three versions per type. So there are 27 mm. subtypes. And one of the three per type uh, doesn't quite follow fit, the rules. Fit the stereotype. Uh-huh. And so it's called a countertype. I happen to be a countertype four. So I'm a four that doesn't look like one. Mm. Uh, but uh, kind of going back to what your question earlier, like what brought me into this field? Um, <laughs> it's a typical self-pres four thing to deal or not deal with their own suffering by help aligning with other people in their suffering. So (laughs) um, it's like a way to avoid dealing with my own struggles, my own pain, et cetera, by distracting myself with other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, in terms of 
uh, like a typical trait for fours is that they like spontaneity and diversity and um, they don't they don't like doing monotonous things. And so uh, the kinds of people who tend to reach out to me vary from like those who are very conscientious, responsible, empathic people who take on other people's stuff so much that they get burnt out or resentful or both. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mostly what shows up on my current homepage. Yeah. But um, sometimes they find me through other avenues because they finally want to you know, launch their business, but they're having so much imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and all that kind of stuff. Um, there are some people who reach out specifically because of the Enneagram, because there are tons of Enneagram coaches, not a lot of Enneagram therapists. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the Enneagram has been super helpful in helping people feel known and seen for their experiences, because 20 people in a room can have anxiety for all kinds oh. of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so instead of just like, tossing whatever like approach or modality at them like when they feel seen that really expedites their healing process yeah Um, Yeah, I agree and I I think in terms of the people that show up into my space it's um I mean very similar themes right they're they're clients who are so people who are so focused on other people and kind of other, you know, taking care of other people, caretakers, helpers, et cetera, that they haven't really, they're starting to have a crisis of self. Like they don't, they're understanding like other people are going to let them down. They're growing more and more resentful, burned out, like she talked about, and they need a place to land. And so that is a client that I tend to see. Um, But I think the clients that I tend to see also I think they're kind of craving like a soft place to land. Mm. Uh, So I tend to give my clients like uh, a lot of welcoming and comfort and care. I'm kind of like the therapist BFF, right? Like I want them to feel really seen and heard, but I'm going to challenge you to like look internal and ask yourself why, like why the perfectionism is coming up. Like, why are you... Um, why are you eating and drinking at the end of the night? Like, what are you trying to run away from? Like, you know, how can we claim all the parts of ourselves, even the parts that we don't think are that attractive? Like, Mm. how can we understand or how can they understand who they are? Because it's coming out and they're not really understanding. They kind of feel unmoored. They're not really like grounded within themselves. And so I have a lot of clients who are like, I'm not really like figuring out my relationships. I don't really know. I, I can't really seem to get traction. Um, I, I'm feeling really mad and I don't really understand why I'm so resentful at the people around me. Um, you know, I kind of think of all my clients. I have this like feeling spiral that I get caught in mm-hmm. over and over again. And I don't know how to get out of it. I'm just so stuck. Um, and yeah, my clients tend to have really big feelings too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what lights you up as you do this work with a client? So I use an Enneagram framework to help my clients to grow. So like what lights me up is like using the Enneagram on a non-shallow level to help my clients to really like grow away from these like automatic coping mechanisms that they have that are their number. Like your number is automatic autopilot coping mechanisms. And so the Enneagram kind of provides a framework to move away from that the best, the thing that lights me up, like I'm just thinking about my clients in the last couple of weeks, 
it's the moment that they, I don't know, it's that moment where they're like, oh my gosh, like I just realized this automatic thing that I do. I caught myself in the middle of it. I didn't beat myself up. I didn't have shame around it. I really just like embraced the fact that I'm human and like gave myself grace and moved on. Like people really just like, God, I'm like getting, sorry, I'm like getting chills as I talk about it. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess that is just like somebody falling in love, like falling in love with who they are, like understanding more deeply about, you know, themselves and embracing themselves with all their squishy human parts, you know, mm-hmm. like people are squishy and like weird and <laughs> beautiful. And yeah. So anyway, I just feel like it's a, what lights me up is people really like deeply understanding themselves in all their imperfections. It is so cool. I could say something similar for my work with my clients where it's exactly that moment of like, I didn't feel guilt because I know, I know myself and I know that I didn't do anything bad. It's this, uh, this coming to a place of neutrality with food and themselves ultimately and their bodies. It's like, any neutrality or inching towards acceptance always like causes a downstream effect for all positive things with food. Those are also moments where I'm like, yes, this is the moment (laughs) I've been waiting for all week. Yes. This is music to my ears. (laughs) So fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I am obsessed with the idea of a flow state, Mm. uh, finding a sweet spot. Um, and uh, in high school for like my like physics project, like I happened to choose the sweet spot on like a baseball bat or a tennis racket or whatnot. And it's um, like, I still have like muscle memory of how good it feels when like the ball hits the bat at a point where it's minimal energy input for me, but maximum output for the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. And so when people find that, um, mode in themselves where the experience itself is already the reward, Mm. but how far they go is like bonus. Mm. Um, and so like when I I think like in that sense, like the Enneagram, like our autopilots, um, are kind of where there's so much friction and there's so much energy that's lost so many opportunities miss, like because of all this reactivity and chafing and, you know, drama and all that stuff. And so like, it really wears people down for one, Mm -hmm. but then the opposite of that is like when they can find their stride in finding healing for themselves and feeling free to make decisions according to what fits in the moment, Mm -hmm. instead of according to what what they're used to, Mm -hmm. Uh, that freedom is like, Oh, it's, it's, it's delicious. <laughs> so like, that's one part. And uh, another part is like, I mean, I type four is like known for being an individualist. Um, but I really love seeing people in their own element mm-hmm. um, and being able to like fully show for who they are. And so like, if let's say uh, there's like a grassy field and there's like all this green blades of grass except for one it's like that one like sticks out like a sword thumb but mm-hmm. if all the blades in the grass field are different colors then everyone is themselves but they can also belong mm-hmm. um, and so mm-hmm. helping people find that is my jam 
I, I will say when I first found out about the Enneagram, it was helpful because it helped me understand what motivated people and what people were afraid of. Those were the two things that stood oh, out yeah. to me. Absolutely. So when it comes to, I think maybe on a personal level or maybe even beyond when people don't know what motivates them and what they're afraid of, how does that affect someone versus once they do realize? And so like when a person finds out or reads a description of their actual type, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm found out. So there's this like, yeah, <laughs> feeling mortified. Yeah. Um, but also validating and seeing at the same time, it's like, oh, like someone can finally put words to all the stuff that I kind of sense what's going on internally. Yeah. I hate that. Like someone else knows about it too. Yeah. But, um, because that's the starting point, it's like, okay, now I don't feel like I have to stay trapped in this forever. Totally. Mm. Well, and I think the thing is, right, like um, our teachers say this, uh, Beatrice Chestnut and Aronio Pius, there are Enneagram kind of gurus, teachers, um, and really helped us to know the Enneagram and um, the way that we practice it. Anything that's sub- like unconscious runs you, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's in control. And so if you don't know your fear and the other thing you mentioned, the fear and the motivation. Uh, motivation. Yeah. If you're not aware of those and how they show up, I mean, they're just running you from the background. It's not like they go away. Mm-hmm. So really like, I love the Enneagram because it points those things out to us, but also kind of sheds light, a lot of light on the things that you're doing that you're not aware of or the ways that you focus your attention that you had no idea about. Um, because again, it just, it runs you from behind. It's like that engine that keeps mm. you going. That's one of the things that keeps you in these patterns and these ways of being that feel so like sticky and like bad. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm so. so curious for you too. Um, before this awareness, when you guys were kind of just living life, right? What were some of the behaviors, like the subconscious behaviors that weren't serving you that trapped you maybe? <laughs> so you know how she mentioned that like we like disliked each other in the beginning or, <laughs> or that like I didn't like notice <laughs> or it didn't bother me? That was my autopilot because mine is to numb and shut down. And so I had no idea being very internal and within myself, the actual impact that I was having on other people by like having a very like I, my RBF game is so strong <laughs> so like I was so inside myself disconnected from the outside world not having any idea not even registering that other people are actually there and then like scaring people <laughs> yeah yeah um for me I would find myself in you know relationships that were that felt very uneven um, I would find myself, you know, constantly like resentful of how much effort I was putting in to other people, my close people, and like in my mind, not getting like back what I was wanting. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like not really having a good idea of my feelings. Like I was just kind of this outward oriented, like, I will tell you, I mean, this is where the pride comes in. Twos is like, twos are very prideful, interestingly, but like, I'll tell you everything about yourself. Like I will, I will tell, I know your foibles. I know your facial expressions. Like I know how to get you to like me, right? Like that is so prideful. I know how to get you to do what I want you to do. I was doing that, Mm -hmm. but without 
any consciousness, right? So it's like, oh, like, let me flag. Like, I love that scarf. Like, oh, your hair's so cute, right? Like, mm. I know these are the things and the ways that like we manipulate to get what we're what we're needing, right? Which is to know that we're lovable. So that mm. is what I did, right? Flattered, complimented, was very nice. Do you need anything? How can I help you? Like, um, you know, uh, not really vulnerable, having a hard time, like showing up as human while at the same time, having all these really big feelings, not really being able to pinpoint what they were. And so kind of going along in life and then they kind of like explode. Mm. Oh, I feel these big feelings. I don't know what's happening right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, that plus a history of trauma for me, um, it just kind of, it's just this beautiful soup, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's how I, I think that that's probably a fairly good description of how I was. It's interesting for you. It was a point of explosion for Joanne. Did you have that moment or was it like a slow simmer? So for me, the type four is like all about suffering and uh, death and dying. And um, it's like fours suffer way too much like a lot more than they really need to. They actually create their, all the types create their own suffering, but fours do it by like, like using suffering as like a security blanket. Um, and so it's like taking, taking pride in being the one to like endure things or whatnot, like not wanting to be vulnerable or to ask for help because it's as if like it confirms that I'm like not enough or like whatever. I call my four clients masochists. Yep. Mm. Um, and uh, once I, once I found out, cause I, my narrative in life was like, of course, these like bad things would happen to me because it's like, I deserve it. It's yeah. just, you know, what I attract or whatever. And yeah. then I, and then I found out that like, that's what my autopilot does. Is <laughs> <laughs> it like, I'm so like zoned in on like the bad things in life or what's lacking in me and like totally missing that. Like, there's actually still a lot of good in life too. Um, but that that's in my blind spot. Like I didn't realize it. And so it um, took a lot of uh, inner reconstruction to realize, oh yeah, shit happens. Shit happens to me. And also it happens to other people. Like I'm not like singled out by the universe. So like, yeah, I can acknowledge that I did experience hardships, um, but it's not because of me. It's just because I'm a finite limited human being living in a broken world. Like it it makes it impersonal. And I think that really freed me up um, instead of it being my identity. Mm. Also the idea that like, I am an equal with, every other person on this planet and that because of that I too deserve goodness I deserve to know that I'm already whole the same thing happened to me when I took the test um I took it because my an undergrad my roommate at the time was a psychology major she was like you have to take this test and my mind was blown too it was spot on um but I'm wondering too when it comes to integrating this work the Enneagram work with the brain spotting and um, like EMDR, for example, I know so many people logically know, okay, I am whole, I am complete, I am enough. And they can convince themselves all day, like saying this out loud, but does the brain spotting and EMDR help it trickle down just a little bit deeper? 
Oh, yeah. so much more. <laughs> because I mean, something we learn about kind of our brain anatomy in um, in brain spotting is that, you know, the prefrontal frontal cortex and your um, emotional brain and amygdala, they actually like, it's hard for them to actually connect. This is why you can't like tell your, you can't talk yourself out of feelings. Like you can't reason yourself out of emotion. Emotion is a somatic experience, right? You feel it in your body. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what brain spotting does is it kind of like, <laughs> it goes around your frontal cortex, your prefrontal cortex and goes straight to your um, emotional brain mm-hmm. and helps you process via your emotional brain. So- And the lizard brain. And, and the lizard brain. Your midbrain and your amygdala, right? Mm-hmm. So your brain stuff. So um, it helps you to process on that level. So actually you're able to kind of heal and take in these truths via that part of your body, which is then why you have this felt sense of I'm enough. I'm whole. I'm good enough. I'm lovable. I was already whole. Mm -hmm. So I'm about lovability. Like I'm, I I always, my motivation was feeling lovable Mm -hmm. and her motivation was feeling enough, enough. Mm. I am so curious because I don't know if a lot of people know about this, but what does brain spotting work look like? What is it even? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so brain spotting is a derivative of EMDR. EMDR has been around since the eighties. Um, and it came when someone discovered that they were doing a lot of deep processing while they were walking and their eyes were shifting back and forth. Right. That's the EMDR. Brain spotting is kind of a spinoff of that, except um, instead of having the eyes look back and forth, it's about finding specific eye position and just staring off into that spot. So our bodies know how to do this already. It's mm-hmm. kind of how our bodies process things in general. Like so, if you've ever spaced out, mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. you're looking at a certain yeah. spot and you find your brain kind of going. Yeah. Or like for like veterans or trauma survivors, like the thousand mile stare. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're, it seems like they're looking at something, but they're not really looking at something. They're looking in that direction while they're actually looking internal processing sometimes without even knowing. Um, it's just that for those people, they do it accidentally and they don't always know how to come back out to the surface. Mm. And they're not utilizing it for healing necessarily. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, so for those folks, they might actually amplify the tra- their trauma experience. Um, brain spotting therapy, it's like they're, you know, if, if um, doing that internal work is like deep water diving to excavate whatever's down there, the further down you go, the darker it gets, the more disorienting it is. You don't know which side's up. Mm-hmm. It's like therapy is when there's a trained person sitting on the boat on the surface who can pull that person back out when like the time is up or things are getting too intense or whatever, so that the person can be even more freed up to go even further down. Mm-hmm. I, I think also what brain spotting provides, it's the person up at the surface, but they also helped you to have a, um, if I'm going to use the metaphor, like a protective suit. Yeah. Um, so that you can, because I mean, we always talk about how the attune, like attunement is kind of the protective part of brain spotting, right? Like, you know, that you have a kind, um, present caring other, and that creates safety in the body, um, so that you can dive. So it is kind of, a um, providing yourself or like the therapist and the frame of the work that we um, talk about and provide for our clients. It provides kind of that protective casing Mm -hmm. to be able to deep dive into these places, knowing that they're okay, 
that they're not actually living that out again. So this isn't about flashback mm -hmm. um, without any like discombobulate, like with all this discombobulation and stuff, like you have, you, you know that there's like a space, like you're doing this within a safe contained space. And that actually does a lot for the brain mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. allow it to kind of heal itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned from a brain spotting training, um, the trainer said, the biggest trauma that we experience isn't the event of the trauma. Let's do but it it's, alone. Yeah, that we are the only ones who've been through that experience and feeling unknown, um, feeling like no one else gets us, yep. no one else is there for us. Yep. That's actually the biggest the trauma biggest pain point and yeah. so right so my therapy would reverse that by being the person that the therapist would be very present very attuned to the client mm -hmm. um as the client becomes very attuned to themselves in their inner world yep mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah yeah so and both of us I mean like I said earlier like I don't do therapy that I've never done myself and so both of us are also like clients of brain spotting like we've mm -hmm. each received brain spotting for our own mm -hmm. like care. So, mm -hmm. wow, this is fascinating. This is the first time I'm hearing about it and this experience. Um, feel free to share as little or as much as you want, but when you had your own first brain spotting session, what was that like for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you mind if I go first? Yeah. 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 Um, my first brain spotting experience, and, and this is usually true of most people right now, at least is, um, during a training, right? So like part of training for brain spotting is you receiving brain spotting from your brain spotting partner mm -hmm. as you're learning to do this. Um, I was attending my first brain spotting training um, and just kind of had this intuitive sense that I had some things that I needed to resolve via brain spotting. Um, so I sought out one of the trainers. They kind of make themselves available for, you know, the people coming to the training, um, just in case there are things that they need to like process through. Um, so I actually like singled out one person. I was like, you're the person, you're the trainer. Like I need to do a brain spotting session with you. And that was my very first brain spotting session. Um, it was intense. Um, I, you know, I, I did something called gaze spotting. Like I already knew what I wanted to process inside of myself. So my eyes, what happens in gaze spotting is your eyes kind of fall on the spot that you know, like intuitively, like that's what you need to process. Mm -hmm. So that happened kind of intuitively for me. And I felt very safe with this person. So essentially he just witnessed a lot of like what he um, thinks is a lot of pre-verbal trauma mm -hmm. um, come up. It felt very, um, how do I describe it? everybody's brain spotting experience can be different and everybody even experience to experience for the same person can be different for me that time it was very somatic I kind of flashed like hot and cold um at one point I think I was I mean this was in a gym um a gymnasium um I think at one point I was like in the fetal position on the ground um yeah it's because it's a somatic healing experience, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I was kind of going through a lot of, for me, I kind of go through a lot of um, flashes of images, memories, thoughts, kind of rapid succession mm -hmm. as my brain is processing all of this stuff. And then I'm feeling the feelings that come kind of in waves. 
Mm. So you're crying and you're not you're like, oh, I think this is why I'm crying. But again, it's not a prefrontal cortex experience. So you could be crying and you're like, I don't know, fuck, I'm crying right now, but I'm flashing these things as I'm looking in this direction. So, mm. I mean, that, that is what it felt like from the inside. By the end of it, I felt very solid, very... it's God. hard to talk it's about it's really hard to talk about like <laughs> it's very intuitive it's super intuitive I think mm-hmm. it's almost like I was Swiss cheese and there were parts of me that were kind of um not Swiss not not holes anymore yeah mm. being filled in mm-hmm. um I was exhausted too I fell asleep like they, I, I sat out the last session and I fell asleep on the gym wall floor like yes. up. so <laughs> it's you know it's somatic work yeah. it's really really like hard it can be really, really hard work, but it was so, it was so healing. And to have him, like, I would say, is this okay? You know, is this okay that you're here? Like, are you like, is this boring? He's like, you do whatever you need to do. I'm right here. Mm -hmm. And even just having somebody do that while you're processing such trauma is so healing. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's like, it's crazy to hear that this was like, it's not a substance that you're taking. You're just kind of going within and but it can feel like you're on the side. <laughs> and, and, but it, it can also be like, I've had a client fall asleep brain spotting. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's normal too. Yeah. Mm. And so it's just like, you know, they're, they're, they're it's so varied in its, its yeah. experience. It's like the, the body intuitively knows what, what it you needs need. to heal. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because it's like, you're going into the deep mm-hmm. lizard brain yeah. And then the thinking brain turns off. And mm-hmm. so like yeah. when we set up brain spotting sessions, uh, I often recommend that people clear out the rest of the day. No, yeah. they're not going to be able to work. Mm. They're not going to be able to do anything super detail oriented. Nope. I would say like, don't even try to drive immediately after a brain spotting session. because You're going to mm. feel like you're drunk. <laughs> Fascinating. Oh my yeah. gosh. That is so interesting. Cause I mean, we, but we all live in the Silicon Valley. So a lot of our patients are just living up here all day oh, long. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally today, this morning, I had a, a a man who was an engineer and I I was just thinking, you know, you're doing this thing with your diet and it doesn't seem like it's, it's giving you much joy. And he's like, I don't think like that. I just go off of logic. I don't really need to think about my feelings and just pushing through, never really like understanding or even giving space to feel feelings. Uh, That's when we run into trouble at one point. So. <laughs> For sure. Yes. Um, and- I have a feeling my audience too will think, you know, I just feeling feelings is so uncomfortable that to escape that we'll do anything. We'll eat, we will distract, we will do anything. (laughs) And and I mean, to be honest, like we catch ourselves doing that too. (laughs) You know, like that is something we do as well. I mean, I, but I do think, you know, if we're kind of talking about like neutrality, like no shame, like just understanding too, like with the awareness comes like, oh, I'm doing that thing again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like that's neutrality, right? Like it's, it's an awareness and noticing and then being able to redirect yourself. Like the more we can do that, the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of so. think about intense emotions, like being on a roller coaster, Yeah. but some people are like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be on the roller coaster. So they get off halfway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where are they going to go? Oh my God. <laughs> there. And so like the experience of having the courage to actually feel the feeling, it's not going to take as long as they think it will. Mm. They think it's going to take hours and hours and days and weeks, 
mm-hmm. or they're just never going to get out of it or that they're going to just, they're be just going to be there. trapped but mm-hmm. in actuality like a roller coaster at most it takes like two minutes two minutes mm-hmm. is a pretty long roller coaster <laughs> and so it's like knowing that it's also with brain spotting it can feel like being on a roller because you don't know where it's going mm-hmm. but if you have the courage to actually get back on and allow the process to do what it needs to do mm-hmm. then you'll actually get back to a safe territory and so it's like the move uh, our emotions like they move on once they fulfill their mission they have mm-hmm. but, but they're not going away unless you receive the message yeah yeah but it's like um like they all have a purpose they all have function it's just like a lot of people don't even know that emotions have functions at, at best a lot of people think that emotions are like pests that you kind of try to swat away and keep at bay so yeah mm. I kind of talk about it like there's a an imagery that I use around feelings and emotions that I would probably use with this client of yours mm-hmm. um if you've ever read Harry Potter um mm-hmm. in the very beginning of Harry Potter you have like the owl that like the the mail you get this mail yeah. like you're <laughs> you're you're admitted to Hogwarts and they never let Harry read the mail so like two come back and then four and then eight and then it just Mm -hmm. exponentially rises as you keep denying the message Mm -hmm. that's emotion (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. so it's like unless you open the message and receive the information and act accordingly you're just gonna like yes like yeah you can go to like the island in the storm in the middle of the that's what the dursleys do right yeah, like yeah. they go out in the middle of the ocean yeah you can do that it works for a while but they're gonna find you they're gonna fucking find you <laughs> and yeah. you're gonna be like yeah. right like and you might as well receive the message yeah because them coming back that's what a trigger is yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it comes back exponentially bigger than it could have so read the message if you can learn even learn the what you know that it's getting delivered in the first place some people don't even mm-hmm. ride the roller coaster mm-hmm. totally yeah. i think we try so hard to push through in life of like oh. i will just think positively i will push through but it always ends up catching up to you <laughs> yeah, thinking positively when the thing is not positive it's oh just that's just lighting so <laughs> it's such bullshit yeah I mean, it's a toxic positivity. Yeah. 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 Um, But I think, you know, it's one of those things we're talking about this and it's in some parts really vague, but in some parts, it's really tactical, the tools that you give people. And I think for anyone who's feeling stuck, and I'm going to give my own example right now, because it might be helpful. It's um, whenever I try to make content, whether it's creating a podcast episode or anything like that and putting myself out there, the thing that keeps me stuck is like, I'm not that interesting. I'm not that good of a person. I'm someone's better than me at this. Like I'm just, I don't even like myself that much. Why would anyone else want to see this? That's the thing that's keeping me stuck. And I've seen this over and over again. And for anyone who has the same issue, and I'm sure there's a lot of people, it will come out in different ways, whether it's with your career or with food or with body. And I think this is the work, the work that you guys do. It it helps kind of unwind and untangle some of that. So I'm so glad I got to learn this modality because it seems so, so helpful. Awesome. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say that, you know, Enneagram plus brain spotting and the Enneagram might be like, if you go to a massage therapist, oh, yeah. right. And then they ask you like, is there any pain points in your body? Any place that I should kind of be more gentle with? Um, they're scanning your body, looking for painful knots that have built up over overuse that puts the whole body out of alignment. That's our autopilot. 
that's where we get stuck because we overdo a certain set of patterns. Um, brain spotting would be massaging out those knots mm-hmm. so that we can gain access to our full body mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. And, and be whole and balanced again. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Can't get enough of it. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Can't get enough of massages and fall asleep. Going to our going to our massage therapist, Natalie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so come on to, to to our group uh collective. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, well, if anyone who's listening wants to learn more about this work and what you guys do, where can they find you? And yeah, what would working with you guys look like? So Havenly Counseling Collective is mm-hmm. our business name um, in Los Gatos on uh, near 85 and 17. And um, yeah, in terms of like, what it'd be like for people to work with us, we're a collective of all kinds of healing professionals. Currently, we mostly have therapists, um, but uh, everyone is different. They're their own person and they have their own business. And so uh, what we share in common is that we really value doing our own personal work so that our bullshit doesn't spill over into our client sessions. <laughs> um, but uh, they feel our vibe, our brand, our office space are all the same in that we want to create a home where people can land Mm -hmm. Uh, among community. Right. Right. So So Havenly is kind of like that trusted friend who always gives like the badass referrals to the things you need. Um, So Havenly is that for, for clients. So, you know, should somebody want to get the care and community that they're looking for, which is in such short supply in Silicon Valley. Oh my God. Um, And I firmly believe we heal in community. Uh, That would be their entry point. So Havenly is kind of the community that we're building um, that allows people to be seen and grow. And then Havenly then connects you with some, I I personally truly believe quality therapists that can help you further that journey. Mm -hmm. So um, Joanne and I both are have our own respective businesses under Havenly. And then you have a couple of other clinicians here too. Mm -hmm. um, And they are badass. So that's how they would connect with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they get to choose like every, every person has their own ideal therapist and what they need. So Mm -hmm. hopefully Havenly is one of the ways that they can get what they're needing. Yeah. I love that. I think you guys bring such positive energy and it's so great to see. And also, you know, talk therapy is great, but I think you guys bring such specialized knowledge in a spot where people, yeah, it's a blind spot and it's just, it's, it goes deep. So if you're looking for work that goes deep, then these two, you're in good hands. So yes, it was so nice talking. Um, and I can't wait to keep in touch with you guys. Oh, same. Thanks so much. We would love to hear about you too. (laughs) Let's hook up with you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Craving Food Freedom Podcast. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. I love hearing from you. Until next time, I will be right here rooting for you always on your ongoing journey towards food freedom.